Welcome to Grow Yourself to Grow Your Business, a podcast about growing your inner world so your outer world will reflect it. If you want to grow your business and learn how to make a profit in a heart-centered way, this is the show for you. Each week, you'll discover tips and inspiration for growing yourself, gaining wisdom, overcoming obstacles, and growing your business as a result. This is the podcast for holistic practitioners and coaches who want to make a difference in the world and be more profitable while helping more people. And now, here's your host, Liesl Teversham. Hello and welcome. This is Liesl Teversham of SavvySelfGrowth.com. And today, I can't wait to introduce you to our fabulous guest. I met him around about a year ago, and we've had one incredible interview on my Savvy, a Savvy Self-Care Secrets Tele Summit, and I so enjoy everything he brings into the world. I'm a part of his group on Facebook, and I really can't wait to introduce you. So let me share with you a little bit about our guest today. His name is Paul Zelizer. And he's one of the first business and marketing coaches to focus on the needs of conscious entrepreneurs. And they would be coaches, consultants, and other service entrepreneurs who have a foundation of wisdom, mindfulness, or awareness. Paul runs a global coaching practice supporting conscious entrepreneurs in growing their businesses to the next level while staying 100% true to their integrity. He's also the former director of social media for Wisdom 2.0, one of the premier mindfulness brands in the world. Paul's latest venture is Wisdompreneurs, and that is where I met Paul, a global startup focused on bringing entrepreneurial skills to transformational leaders and to bring easy-to-implement mindfulness and emotional intelligence practices to the entrepreneurial world. Paul, welcome. It's really a privilege and it's so fantastic to have you back and I can't wait to share your wisdom with our listeners. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Lisa. It's an honor to be here. Always enjoy our time together. Thank you very much. And so I'd like to dive right into some of our questions today. And the first one I'd like to ask is, you know, I so admire the incredible work you do in the Wisdompreneurs uh, community, that's the Facebook group and the, the emails that you send out. And it's always just coming from such a heart and a big place. And whenever I speak with you, there's such a calmness that, that, that is in the room for me. And of course, I know that that is not where you started out. And I would like to ask if you're happy to share with us a few bits of background about where your journey started and how you ended up where you are today. Mm, thank you so much for the question, Lisa. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the southwestern portion of the United States. And here in Santa Fe, the trickster, the, the archetype of the trickster, it's the only way you can understand my journey because it's a pretty wild journey. <laughs> and uh, the, the trickster archetype here in the southwestern U.S., the native peoples here talk about coyote. That's that's our representation of it. So to understand Paul Zelizer and how he got from <laughs> where he started to where he is now, you have to understand that the trickster and coyote have uh, – they're very strong forces in my life. 
The short version of it is I grew up in Westchester County, the suburbs um, outside of New York. If uh, any of your listeners, she's very big here in the U.S., Martha Stewart, the sort of like homemaker and making your home beautiful and projects. And um, if you if you know who Martha Stewart is and what that brand is about, you have a sense. She was 15 minutes down the road. Right. So it was very conservative and very um about money and outside um factors and my dad was an accountant who worked for companies that i had a really hard time with even as a little kid i knew something was wrong so we lived well but for instance my dad was an accountant for cigarette companies uh, or for a major cigarette company and this was in the 70s when we knew that um the cigarette companies were hiding data that cigarettes cause cancer so my little nervous system took in the fact that, wow, we live really well. There's a lot of suffering in the world. And the way that most businesses, um, my other friends, parents worked for, you know, oil companies, the, the, the whole constellation of companies that maybe weren't thinking about the greater good, but were more thinking about single bottom line. How do we make the most money? And my little nervous system knew that something was off and I couldn't put my finger on um, in my teens, kind of as a result of like feeling spiritually bankrupt, I got involved in drugs and alcohol. And pretty early on, somebody said to me, Paul, you have a nervous system that's wired for poignant experiences. And that tends to end one of two ways. Either you uh, have a life of addiction and stress and struggle and trauma, or you have some sort of inner practice. And I heard that at 17 years old, pretty remarkable. She said it in a way with a lot of care. And I made the inner journey, my North star. I made, I made a conscious decision at 17 that this is what my life was going to be about and brought that into my career. I got a master's degree in counseling. First, I got a bachelor's in psychology, a master's degree in counseling, but the um, counseling degree was very much rooted in mindfulness and awareness. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn, the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction, lived 12 miles down the road from where I went from grad school, and many of my professors were his earliest students. So it was deeply infused in my professional training, and that was by choice. Um, and along the way, I decided the East Coast of the U.S. was too fast. It was big cities, and I didn't really want to be there anymore, and I came out to the Rocky Mountains, in particular, northern New Mexico in 1993. And I did a lot of community mental health work and a lot of um, community organizing and deep, deep work on the Pueblos, the native reservations here in New Mexico, uh, Taos Pueblo, which is the oldest continually inhabited building in North America, a place of art and soulfulness and spirit and depth. But I didn't really, I brought a dysfunctional relationship with money and business, you know, all that stuff I picked up as a kid about how business can be toxic or bad or it doesn't have values or just wasn't something I had to pay attention to. So I became a father and I was doing incredible work, helping a lot of people, but not making much money being a social worker and a community um, activist in a sense and became a father and things just it, it didn't hold together well. So there was work I was ignoring. My shadow was around money and business and things fell apart for me in a very painful way. I'll spare you the details, but basically I got my face ground in the pavement Ouch. for quite a few years. It was really painful. The organization I had started and I was the director of fell apart and my marriage fell apart. All kinds of things fell apart. And it was time. It was the universe saying, Paul, it's time to do this work 
this relationship that you're having, this story you're telling about money and business was um, it's not serving you and it's not serving the world. There's another piece of work we want you to do and it's time to pay attention. And just as my life was falling apart, a dear, dear friend of mine whose name is Soren Gordhammer, who's now kind of a rock star for having found the Wisdom 2.0 conference. His life fell apart. His marriage fell apart two months before mine. He had a son that's born on the same day as my daughter. They're two years apart and call each other stepbrother and sister. Mm-hmm. Soren and I reinvented ourselves together, literally with a blank sheet of paper. We call it Tuesday Night Men's Group. And we started writing, like, what does a different dream look like than the one we had had? And he had his own versions of some limiting beliefs and faulty beliefs. And he wrote the Wisdom 2.0 um, conference into existence which just happened last month 2500 people some of the leading business and spiritual leaders on planet earth and i wrote a coaching business in this conscious business conscious entrepreneur sector and uh, it hasn't been a linear great ride but it's been a fantastic ride lisa there's been ups and downs but it's the past eight years have been remarkable unlike anything i've ever experienced Wow, that is an incredible, incredible <laughs> um, uh, life story. And yeah, you know, Paul, whenever I see you interact on Facebook and share your wisdom, I can just really absolutely get that there is huge depth there. It doesn't come from books or uh, learning, you know, through other people's experiences. It comes from personal life experience and great wisdom and such love and care and and I hear that you've lived your you know what you are busy teaching it's it's first from first living um, the challenges so that would be my next question then is if you can share with us I heard a few challenges there that you had to overcome but most of our listeners may be uh, people who've just maybe started a business in, in the healing industry or the service industry and maybe a little bit discouraged or maybe they just starting out with huge big stars in their eyes. And if you can share with us maybe some of the biggest growth opportunities on your way here in the business world or if I can say it a different way, some of the biggest limits that you had to overcome to get your business to where it is today. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lisa. I'm a storyteller, right? So I'll tell you a story about that. I love it. In in 2000, and I forget if it was 2001 or 2002, but right about there, I knew I was burning out from the social work um, work I had done. I'd done fantastic work, but I was tired. A lot of trauma, a lot of intergenerational alcoholism and drug addiction, domestic violence. I was tired, and I got I picked up a book called The Therapist is Life Coach. And I was like, oh, wow, this sounds interesting, solution focus, and it's not all about um, solving these intergenerational problems. It's about helping people improve. Coaching was about helping people improve their lives. And so I was reading this book, and there's this big yes in me. I was like, yeah, that's like, yeah, I could do that. Oh, I'd be really good at that. I talked to some friends, and then I got to chapter 10. I still remember it. I don't have the book in front of me, but I can remember, right? This is 2002. Uh, it's not 2002 anymore. <laughs> I can still remember. It's chapter 10. And chapter 10 was around business and marketing. And I hit this limiting belief, right? I'm a counselor, social worker, community activist type guy. I don't know. I don't, I didn't get the, I didn't get the marketing gene. I didn't get the business gene. You know, that was for somebody else. And I shut the book and I put it on the shelf. 
for five years, Lisa. Mm. Five years, right? And that was the period of my life. The universe turned up the volume a little bit and then more and then more. And that was when I got my face ground in the pavement, right? And when everything fell apart and I just, you know, five years later after already being a little burned out, I was so burned out. So five years later, it was kind of like the universe got my attention, kind of pulled away the things I was using to tell the story that, you know, I was too busy. Okay, you're too busy running an agency. We'll take the agency away. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so my story was one of letting resistance lead. And it, I can say from experience, that's not the most fun way to live your life. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> and what I caught to in all of that is that these things that I was so afraid of business and marketing practices and learning how to be an entrepreneur, they're not a gene. We're not born with it or born without it. They're skills that we learn. And when the pain was enough, and I hope that your listeners don't have to go through the pain that I did, I really got motivated. Okay, I am going to do this. It's time. I hear you universe. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to really give myself to the bothness of it. If you look at the word wisdompreneur, what I see is that a lot of practitioners develop themselves incredibly deeply in their healing modality or their coaching skills, whatever their craft is, but they're very fearful of developing themselves as entrepreneurs and business people. And what I did, which really worked well, once I got over the resistance, I said, oh, it's not a gene. I wasn't born without it. I just haven't learned it yet. And I am going to deeply give myself to the both of those, developing myself as a coach and developing the entrepreneurial skills and marketing skills that I need to do well. And it wasn't an either or for me. And I see a huge either or in a lot of this service provider business. Just pay attention to the marketing and you'll do great. No, not in my world. (laughs) Just pay attention to being a coach and take another training and then another one and another one and you're still broke. That doesn't work very well either. Mm, I absolutely love what you just shared, uh, Paul, about the <laughs> the either or or the or the bothness. And I wonder if I can ask you then, what do you encounter for some of the reasons why are we so afraid if we uh, we develop ourselves in any kind of healing modality or a helping modality? What what is so terrible for people about the business side? Or is it just fear? Or are there some beliefs? Or what in your experience comes up very often? That's a great question, Lisa. I would say there's a a wide variety, but the two most common are different variations. Folks who have a healing intention have a deep awareness, just like my little seven and eight, nine-year-old nervous system, that there's something deeply off with our current economic system. It's, it's inherently unjust. It's causing great damage to planet Earth. And there's a, from a very deep spiritual place, there's an awareness of that taking in, if we take in the current economic system into our own nervous system deeply as it stands, and notice I'm underlining as it stands, that we could be um, doing harm to ourselves and others. And healers don't want to do harm. First of all, do no harm is the first thing of medicine, right? The first principle of medicine. Mm -hmm. So the first thing to be aware of is that that's 
that's a beautiful awareness if you're a healer to understand that there's something deeply off the way it treats women, the way our economic system treats people who are born with less privilege, the, the way some people are kind of destined from birth to get a lot more help and privilege than other people. That Healers, we know that there's something off with that. That's not what we want to take in deeply. So that's one awareness, to be aware that the um, uncertainty we might have about the current economic system is real and it's right. And I'm glad you have it, listeners. And there's another economic system that's being born and that we can co-create together. And as long as we let that fear and that um, uncertainty about the uh, sort of the um, not so helpful economic system drive our lives, then you're going to suffer as a practitioner. I'll, I'll like write you a note, right? Because <laughs> I've, I've done the research. I've had my face ground in the pavement, right? This is not a theory, right? So I can pretty much guarantee you I will write you a note, right? If you continue to resist, if your reference point for an economic system is one that you resist, you're pretty much guaranteed to struggle, right? So one of the first things that I would encourage is to find visions, reference points of people who are creating an economy together that is one that feels really good um and they're out there there's never been more attention to this on planet earth than right in this moment it's a global exciting dynamic i find the frame of social enterprise or social entrepreneurship there is a global movement for business as a force for good called social enterprise and i feel so at home there and so aligned with what that movement and placing myself in there i can like bring in this relationship with entrepreneurism that my entire being says yes to so that's the first thing and then the second thing is when we're wired for helping when we've um, had that nervous system, it's oftentimes really, really challenging for us to care for ourselves. We're so oriented to caring for others. And I know you did a whole summit around the importance of saying no and self-care. So I'm not telling anything you don't know. I know you know this, but just to say it for the listeners, that self-care for people who are oriented to helping others is a lifelong journey and it's something we need to pay attention to and that shows up in money and marketing and other ways of being so there's a lot more i could say about that but just that general principle that when you're oriented for taking care of others the ability to take care of yourself is oftentimes a challenge it's just part of the wiring of a nervous system and it's something to work with through time Mm, I really love both points that you brought up. And of course, the last one is, is a, is a passion for me. And I'm so glad you brought it up, even for me, Paul, because like you say, I think we need constant reminders. If we are wired that way, it's going to be our default, uh, it's like the default, uh, setting that we always go back to is how can I help someone else? Or, and that often means, I think you kind of implied that that is hard for us to receive. It's one of the reasons in Wisdompreneurs we have five core values. We have a lot of helper types in Wisdompreneurs. One of our core values is aliveness, self-care, and fun. And there's a reason that's there, Liesl, because everybody in our community, especially and including me, forgets that at times. And by putting it very intentional, like front of mind, this is one of our core values. How am I doing with aliveness, self-care, and fun, that intentionality now? and then tomorrow and then next week and then next month and then next year it's not something that we handle and it goes away 
right now my own business is like exploding because I have my own business plus wisdompreneurs and wisdompreneurs is exploding and everything around self-care needs more attention again. I What I was doing a year ago doesn't work in this new reality. So wherever we get to in this taking care of ourselves and what that means financially and time-wise and energy-wise and in every aspect, physical health-wise, it's going to change as our business grows and changes. Mm, I really love that. It's like we we keep getting to the next layer of it or the next um, sort of, I don't want to call it a ceiling. That sounds really limiting, but, you know, just the next level of the thing that's, that we need to be aware of and mindful of for ourselves. Oh, I love it. Um, Paul, I also would like to ask you, please, about um, mindfulness. If if some of our listeners are not very familiar with the term or what that entails, if you can just share a few words about that. Sure. It's been a passion of mine since 1989. Mm. That was that was a few years ago. That wasn't yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm showing my age here. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember that long ago. <laughs> That's right. I know. It's before your time, Lisa. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold down the elder voice here. <laughs> um, yeah, so mindfulness is a way there were quite a few um, Westerners who went to Asia, mostly in the 60s and early 70s, and studied with various teachers there, spiritual traditions. And one of them was a gentleman named John Kabat-Zinn, lives in Massachusetts outside of Boston. And John was a scientist, but he was also really fascinated about meditation. And he studied in places like Thailand with some very well-known teachers there and came back and experimented with what are the effects if we kind of take away the cultural, like he saw that there were contemplative traditions in every spiritual practice. And what if we took away any of the particular uh, branding, you know, is this a Buddhist brand or a Christian brand or a Jewish brand or a Muslim brand? And what if we gave people permission to look at inner practice, centering practices as a health and wellness tool? And he's done an incredible job of, of helping us look at these practices from a scientific perspective. And he ultimately created something called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, MBSR. And it's a simple eight-week program that helps people learn simple skills like some basic meditation practices, um, some very, very simple yoga, and started studying it and engaging some of the best researchers in the world. What happens health-wise and relationally and performance-wise when we practice these simple um, approaches that got sort of bundled under the banner of mindfulness or mindfulness-based stress reduction. And the research is phenomenal. <laughs> you know, it's gone to Google. Google now has a mindfulness and emotional intelligence program. Why is it at Google? Because it works. It makes the company more money. Their employees are happier. They use, they have less sick days. They, they just, it makes the company money, right? Um, sports teams and the U.S. Marines are using mindfulness. These are organizations that are not just soft, touchy-feely, but are finding the incredible scientifically verified results of these seemingly simple practices, and yet they change lives. Mm, that is awesome. So, um, you know, I grew up in a pretty conservative home here in South Africa, and so for some of us out there, it may be that we've always – 
uh, had a connotation with something like meditation or something that may be uh, feeling uncomfortable for us if we think about how does that fit into my religion or my spiritual background or whatever. So what I'm hearing from you is that mindfulness has absolutely no can we say either religious or a specific tradition connotation or association it is the pure scientific principles of what happens when any of those contemplative practices are practiced exactly and you know i have a client right now who wrote a book on jewish contemplative practices and so this this awareness that you know mindfulness um can be rooted in any tradition or not it can be a scientific practice or it can be deeply rooted in the faith of your choice the idea is that in our modern world where things are moving incredibly quickly um to have a clearly identified centering practice of your choice has profound results both in terms of your health and well-being your relationships kids ability to learn and my own personal interest is that this stuff makes business go better. Oh. <laughs> it, it, there's a reason why Google's doing it. And, you know, I could go on and on the Davos World Economic Forum. Mindfulness has been featured there the past three years. Um, and that is not exactly like a hippie, touchy-feely kind of environment. These are the leading economic uh, forces on planet Earth that are just looking at the data of what happens, purely uh, return of investment, when a company starts uh, being more mindful of its culture and when its employees start having centering practice tools like basic mindfulness tools, the return is more than almost anything out there. And that's why these very traditional organizations are getting involved in using this technology because it works. Mm. So, so, so valuable to hear that. Paul, another thing that I'd like to ask you is – I know that you mentioned for our listeners just before we started our recording, we were talking a little bit about our businesses and oh, I think in this interview, you mentioned your business is exploding as well and you have to look at self-care at a different level. So when you have a day that things just maybe went wrong in quotes or that it was just a challenging, a really hard, hard day and everything feels like it's just not working, what practices or uh, techniques or things that you can you share with us that you use to help you um, get up again hmm. Hmm. thanks Lisa great question the the single most important thing for me is to have a daily centering practice of some variety um, for me I alternate or, or sometimes I do both sometimes it's sitting mindfulness practice uh, 20 minutes is my norm. Um, but the research says you don't have to worry about 20 minutes. The research says start with one, right? I always say this to busy entrepreneurs, like sitting for 20 minutes can be excruciating. <laughs> Somebody who's like, I want to get some stuff done, right? Okay, can you sit for one minute? Okay, yeah, I can do that, Paul. Anybody can sit for one minute. If you don't have time to sit for one minute, I can't help you, right? Yeah. Um, so, so either sitting mindfulness practice and, and or yoga. So this morning I did 40 minutes of yoga and, um, I just find that somehow that helps me flex and be more like yoga is literally about helping the physical being be uh, malleable and adaptive um, rather than rigid and clutched and constricted. So that brings, I bring 
putting that into my day, the day I do yoga, I'm more flexible, not mm-hmm. just physically. And I'm also stronger. It works on a core strength level. And those are, you could think of that physically, but it carries over beyond physical. So when I have a meeting or a potential client, it goes, it doesn't go well, or something happens with wisdompreneurs, and we're like, oh, wow, didn't think of that. What do we do? You know, can I find that inner strength? Can I find that inner malleability? Or am I going to be rigid and attached to the way I thought it should go? These practices help me have less bad days because I come into my days less attached. This is the way it is going to go, (laughs) right? Mm. That's a setup for a bad day, right? As opposed to like, Hey, let me prep, let me prep, let me bring my best game, let me bring my best self to what happens today. And then, oh wow, huh, didn't think that was going to happen now. <laughs> right. And I laugh a lot. That's the other thing. I surround myself with people who know how to laugh and who know how to tease me when I get too serious. Oh, okay. Uh huh. I heard you some, at some point in the past, talk about your clown nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's an important business tool. <laughs> oh, I love that. I so wish that we could all go to work and walk in the streets with our clown noses, you know, and just remind each other <laughs> about what's really important and what's not so important. <laughs> I, I have done that. I have done that at a Wisdompreneurs executive team retreat. I've literally walked down the street and into restaurants and uh, other Wisdompreneurs Leaders, Jerome Braggs, get, got on the plane and took pictures of it being on the plane coming to the Wisdompreneurs Executive Retreat with a clown nose. It had fascinating stories to tell about the kind of conversations that uh, that sparked. Oh, my word. That is just so awesome. So that brings me back a little bit to your um, – you, you said that you're passionate about aliveness, self-care, and fun in business. So Obviously, the fun may be part of the clown nose. And how else do you practice these? Uh, you call them pillars or um, sort of the core, core values? Core yeah, value, core, core values. values. Yes, yes. So there's something about no, I call it organizing your human nervous system, right? And I tell my clients and I remind myself, Lisa, that there is nothing, nothing more powerful than an optimized human nervous system. And we can organize our nervous systems or allow them to be disorganized. I would highly encourage people to organize their nervous systems. It's a way, it's a way more effective way to do And if, if we're going to organize them, our nervous systems need a little guidance from us. What are, we, what are we organizing around, right? If we go around with no idea of what our core values are, then we're just going to be reactive, right? Here's what life brings to me, and I'm just going to react to this and then this and then this and then this. For me, it's about being intentional. What kind of life, what do I want for myself and my daughter and the next generations, my community and the world at large? And I want life to be fun and alive and really poignant. And that doesn't always mean, ha, 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 I never have a bad day. But to be really awake and alive to the incredibly sacred opportunity to be a human being alive at this moment, right here, right now, there's never been a more poignant moment to be alive. So how do I help myself and offer to others who like it that being alive can be something that's mm, that we don't take for granted and we're not here forever? The co-founder of Wisdompreneurs runs a project called Living Before Dying, right? Her dad died young, and she's seen a lot of death and dying, right? 
And um, I'm, I surround myself with people who understand the preciousness of life, have that spark in their eye, and we laugh so much, Lisa. And it's not just a surface level laughter. It's a deep belly laughter that comes from the understanding of A, how sacred life is, B, how blessed we are just to be alive, and C, that together, if we work together, we can help make this planet a little bit better than we found it and leave it for our children and grandchildren. Something I heard the native people I worked a lot um, in the reservations here in northern New Mexico, they're always thinking, right, seven generations. That's not just some marketing slogan. <laughs> the native peoples are always thinking about what kind of world are we leaving the children and the grandchildren and the future generations? And hopefully we can leave one that's a little lighter and a little more ease and a little more laughter to be alive. Mm. That is beautiful, Paul. And if you do you have any learning opportunities that you can share with us or talk about wisdompreneurs or anything that you'd like us to be aware of of the particular work that you do? Oh, goodness, I have my fingers in so many pies. <laughs> uh, Let's talk let about, one, about pie. <laughs> one pie. One pie. Uh, well, maybe two. Two pies. Okay. Uh, if you're looking for the most dynamic, most generous, most beautiful community that I know of on planet Earth, in terms of the conscious entrepreneur space, everything from the inner practice of how do you stay centered how do you show up and hold transformational space day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? A guy just this morning, Robert Middleton, who's a member of the group, he's been a marketing coach for 30 plus years. And he just wrote a, a blog post about how, literally just posted it today, about how the Wisdompreneurs community is impacting his life for the good and his business for the good. It's incredibly deep and rich community. Go check out Wisdompreneurs on Facebook, the Facebook group. You can find us by going to our site, wisdom, and then the second part of the word entrepreneurs, so wisdompreneurs, all one word, dot com. It's just a magnificent community and beautiful people like Lisa. Mm. And then if you're looking for a smaller, much more intimate community in terms of um, help for growing your business, um, I do small mastermind groups. They're called Success for Spiritual Entrepreneurs. It's a really... Um, rich mix of the inner and the depth and some cultivating a practice and emotional intelligence on the inside and then on the outside, really current, uh, growing edge, branding, marketing, like who am I serving? What is my business story? How do I get that story out into the world in a way that feels aligned with who I am and respects my deepest integrity, but is still really effective? I do these small mastermind groups, and you can learn about those at my own website, paulzelizer, Z-E-L-I-Z-E-R.com. Beautiful. And for our listeners, yes, the, the Wisdompreneurs community on Facebook <clears throat> sorry, is where I got to know Paul. And I can absolutely vouch for the incredible help, support, guidance, uh, wisdom, just love, 
all of those incredible qualities that do not always come out in usual business communities. It's all just an incredible mix there. So I highly recommend you hop over there. And there's also what makes it incredible, beautiful rules or which makes it safe for us um, about not promoting, promoting, promoting and the times to do that. And it's just such a, there are wonderful examples there of how to run business in a heart centered way. So and then Paul's website, paulzelizer.com, for his own work with smaller groups. I would love to encourage our listeners to hop over there and see what's available. And Paul, any last thoughts of inspiration or an action step or something you'd love to share with us that we haven't already covered? One of my real passions these days, Liesl, is around the sacred story in business and what I'm finding is, as you know, watching, we just turned the Wisdompreneurs website on less than a month ago, right? And in less than a month, it exploded. <laughs> um, now, there was some groundwork. We took two years to get clear on the story and who we're attracting and building a social media community. So I don't want to make it like an instant success, but um, we've been getting emails from around the world, Hong Kong to Costa Rica, Bolivia, Brazil. Brazil, all over North America, Europe, right? Uh, New Zealand, Australia. It's been amazingly slow. And the part that's happening is we took our time to really get clear about what is the sacred story, not a made up fake trying to manipulate story, but the deep, authentic, meaningful, rich business story of wisdompreneurs. And when that site came on, it was remarkable <laughs> to watch what happened. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs who try to launch something, service entrepreneurs in particular, you know, their website might as well say, hi, I'm another coach and I'm good at coaching. Or hi, I'm another massage therapist and I'm a good one. Or hi, I'm another psychotherapist or chiropractor. And the only difference between me and anybody else is maybe my office is a little closer than you are than your competitor is. It's not a compelling story. So I really want to encourage folks to go deep. What is the deep version of the story in your business? And um, to cultivate that in such a way that when you are ready to come forth and tell that story, that it's compelling and resonant. Mm. Oh, my word. That is such words of huge value and beautiful wisdom, Paul. I'm so sorry that our time is up. In fact, we went a little bit over, but I couldn't stop because it was just (laughs) (laughs) wonderful, wonderful words being spoken and shared with us. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for this incredible inspiration and wisdom that you shared with us today. It's been amazing for me to speak with you again. And again, I encourage our listeners to hop over to Paul's websites and Everything will be on the show notes page for you on my website, SavvySelfGrowth.com. Paul, thank you once again. It's been just the most miraculous pleasure. Oh, I just adore hanging out with you, Liesl. Thanks for what you do and even more so how you do it. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, see you next time. Uh, we hope to see you again soon. Liesl of SavvySelfGrowth.com saying goodbye with Paul Zelizer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you were inspired by this show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. For tips on reaching your goals as a practitioner, visit www.SavvySelfGrowth.com to receive the Savvy Goal Achievers Inside Secrets to reach your dreams. Each week, we will bring you tips and wisdom from experts who walk their talk and make an inspiring difference in the world. Shine your light brightly as you grow yourself to grow your business.